Praise God. I appreciate you coming. I'm going to continue a series that I started talking about last night, talking about the fear of God. And some people, when you talk about the fear of God, they immediately think of the anger of God, the harshness of God, and that God is going to be rejecting you in condemnation. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. That's not what the Word's talking about. You know, there's over 600 times that the word fear, some form of fear is used in the Bible, and over half of those are used in a positive way. Talking about a positive fear of God. And so I used scripture last night to define what the scripture is talking about in the positive way of the fear of God. And I talked about uh, Isaiah chapter 11, that Jesus was quick in the fear of God. And he certainly wasn't terrified of his father. He wasn't afraid of his father. He wasn't condemned by his father. It's not talking about that. I used other scriptures where it talks about the fear of the Lord and I I equated it to trusting him. It's talking about in uh, Proverbs chapter 29. Let me just read this verse again. This is one of the main scriptures that I used last night. Proverbs chapter 29 And I believe it was verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And he's using the word fear of the Lord and trust interchangeably. So I believe that what the scripture is talking about, when it's talking about fearing the Lord, it's talking about trusting the Lord or honoring the Lord. We used that verse last night out of Proverbs chapter 3. Or in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, it says that the wife was to reverence her husband. That's the exact same Greek word that was translated fear many, many times, talking about the fear of the Lord. And so the fear of the Lord is literally talking about honoring the Lord, trusting the Lord, reverencing the Lord, being in awe of the Lord. And that is admonished, commanded in scripture. There's many scriptures that command it. And last night, that's basically what I spent most of my time doing. You know, for those of you that the word of God's not that important, let me read to you a dictionary definition. I said all this stuff last night, but some people, you know, they really want all this other stuff. Here's what the dictionary defines fear as a feeling of alarm or disquiet caused by awareness or expectation of danger. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. An instance or manifestation of such a feeling. That's not the fear of the Lord. A state of dread. That's not the fear of the Lord. Concern. That's not the fear of the Lord. Or the fourth definition is awe, awe, reverence, as in the fear of God. That's what we're talking about is reverencing God, honoring God, putting God first, being more concerned about God's opinion than you are the opinion of men being more sensitive to what God thinks than you are what men have to think. That's talking about the fear of the Lord. And this is what the scripture is admonishing. Let me share some scriptures with you here. I want you to follow this. This will really bless you in, um, let's see, in, got to find where this is. In Psalms 111 verse 10. I'm going to read about four scriptures here that say this same thing. Psalms 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. You know, real quickly, let me just give you my personal definition of of wisdom, understanding, and um, knowledge. And this is very short. I won't go into great detail. But knowledge is just information. You can put knowledge into a computer. A book has knowledge in it. But understanding is the ability to take this information and do something with it. Connect the dots and put things together. That's understanding. So you have to have knowledge. You have to have the input. Then understanding is your ability to connect that. And what do these things say? Like, for instance, I saw in a magazine a a research thing that the United States government did for three years and spent $30 million doing this research. And after three years of research and $30 million, they concluded that people that smile are happier than people that frown. That is absolutely stupid. You know what? They had some knowledge. They probably had some facts, but boy, they did not understand things very well. It would be my contention that smiling doesn't make you happier than frowning, but if you're happy, you smile more as a result. I didn't have to go to school to learn that. Amen. I just think that's pretty simple. But see, you can get knowledge and yet you can come up with the weirdest conclusions. Like I heard Newt Gingrich on the internet this last week and he was talking about something and he was talking about the terrorist and he was saying that you can't say that they're Muslims or Arabs because that's profiling and that's lumping them all together. And so he says, I can't refer to them in any of those ways. So what I'm doing, he says, I found a new way of categorizing all of these people. I've researched every person who's bombed or done anything and not a single one of them belong to the Rotary. So he says, all of these non-Rotarians, that's how he was defined. <laughs> and you know what? That's probably true. Not a one of them belong to the Rotary, but is it the fact that they didn't belong to the Rotary that made them a terrorist? There's some people that would come to that conclusion, but that is not understanding. That is not being able to connect the dots. And there are so many people that have all of this information, but they don't understand anything. They're educated idiots. Forgive me for being blunt, but it is absolutely true. So knowledge is just information. You've got to have knowledge. There is no premium on ignorance. You can't connect the dots. You can't understand if you don't have the right information. If you have wrong information or lack of information, you're always going to come to a wrong conclusion. So you've got to have knowledge, but then understanding is the ability to to put those things. Matter of fact, the actual word in the Greek for understanding is dianoia, and it means deep thought. In other words, not just a surface thought, but a deep thought, an understanding from the heart, an ability to to see things better than what other people see. So you have to have knowledge and then you get understanding. And then wisdom is the correct application 
of this knowledge and understanding to practical life to where you're able to put it out. So we're going to be reading a number of scriptures here about wisdom and knowledge and understanding, and that's my little simple definition of what those are. So again, Psalms 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this word beginning here is the same word that's used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything goes back to God. In the beginning, God. God is where everything started from. This is talking about that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Psalms 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 33 says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. And on and on we could go. There's a lot of scriptures. I just pulled those out to basically make this point that the fear of the Lord is the starting place of all knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Boy, here's a powerful verse. Look this one up in Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21 in verse 30, I think it is. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. You know what I'm saying right here is flies in the face of our society today. Did you know I'm in a church that embraces this and would receive this, and most of you came here because you've already received something. God's already been working on your heart. But if I was to say this in a secular venue... If I was to be on Larry King Live or on some secular thing and say that there is no counsel or wisdom or anything that's against God. God is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. Did you know that our society today would mock me, would brand me, they would come against me. People would begin to start saying, what are you saying? Well, here's another way of saying it. In Psalms chapter 14, verse 1, and Psalms chapter 53, verse 1, they're identical. They're both written by David, and he, it's the, the Psalms are the same. But in Psalms chapter 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is an absolute fool that doesn't believe in God. That would not be very well received in our secular world today. But it is absolutely true. And we today put people on pedestals and give them degrees and we look up to them and submit to them people who are absolute fools. People who do not have a fear of God. People who don't even acknowledge that God is the source of anything. They don't even believe that there's a God. And we put these people in positions of leadership and authority and make them the judges. You know, one of the things that's happened in the United States is back, I think it was in the 1920s, that the, uh, I forget the group that it was called, but anyway, they got together and decided that the way that they were going to influence the United States was through education and taking control of the court system 
and they begin to get into universities. Did you know that Yale and Harvard and Princeton and all of these places were started as seminaries, Bible colleges? They were dedicated to the glory of God. You go to those places and they'll have inscriptions on their walls about that it was dedicated to the glory of God. And yet those places today are absolutely anti-God. They are telling that people that there is no such thing as a God. They are liberal to the max. They are against everything that the word of God stands for. It was infiltrated little by little and they are basically making fun of people who believe in the word of God. And yet the word of God, and this is absolute truth, is that the fear of the Lord, an honor, a trust, an awe, a respect for God is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't have that, you cannot understand and truly know anything. Thank you for those couple of amens. It is absolutely true. A person that doesn't start with the foundation things that God exists is a fool. Thank you for that thunderous silence. That's absolutely true. Look at these verses in Psalms chapter 19. Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Talking about that creation is universal. Nobody can claim ignorance. Creation is proclaiming God every minute of every day. In verse 4, their line is gone out throughout the uh, throughout the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. It says the heavens declare the glory of God. Let me read some of these Greek words to you. Here's what the word declare means. It means to score with a mark as a tally or a record. In other words, the creator didn't leave us alone, but he gave us creation as if marking something and showing that I exist. He gave us a mark, a tally, something that would guarantee his existence. So it means to score with the mark as a tally or a record. That is, by implication, to inscribe. You know, if you had something, if somebody gave you something and it had an inscription on it, you know what, that would give you some information about who made that thing, what the purpose of it was, and you would be an absolute fool to sit there and deny the, the inscription that's written on it. Creation is like God inscribing His name and proving things to us. He's inscribed things to us. It says to inscribe and also to enumerate or to recount, that is, celebrate. And then the word that was translated showeth here in the Greek, it means properly to front, that is to stand boldly out opposite. In other words, creation isn't something that is hidden. It's not an obscure testimony to the existence of God. It is something that stands out boldly in opposition to anything else. How could any person with half of a brain look at creation and think that this happened accidentally? 
And yet people would mock me for saying that. I'm telling you, I'm not the one who ought to feel ashamed for what I'm saying. The person who believes that this complexity happened accidentally is the person that we need to look at and say, that is an absolute fool. It's a fool that has said that there's no God. Creation is shouting at us every single day. So it means to stand out boldly, opposite, by implication, to manifest figuratively, to announce, always by word of mouth as to one present. It specifically means to expose, to predict, to explain, or to praise. Creation is shouting at us. It's inscribed. God is telling us things. And people today think that they are so smart because they have been educated in a system that did not begin with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And if you learn all of these things apart from the fear of God, then it leads you into being a fool. And there are people today that are sitting here denying the existence of God, believing that all of this complexity happened accidentally. Did you know one blade of grass completely disproves evolution? Some of you are thinking, how does that? You could take the collective resources of the human race. We put people on the moon. We have communication things going on now. You could take all of this wisdom, all of the brain power of the human race together, pool it, spend every bit of money on the face of the earth, and they could not create one blade of grass. They can create something that looks like it, that has the texture of it, the color of it, but it will not live. It will not produce another blade of grass. You can take the collective power of 7 billion people on the planet, all of our resources, and we can't create one blade of grass, one leaf that will live and reproduce itself. And if that can't happen on purpose, deliberate with pooled resources, how in the world can a person think that that happened accidentally? That is absolutely ignorant. If we landed on the moon, and when you get there, there was a house over here with windows and doors and an air conditioner in it and a garden growing out there, you'd be an absolute fool to think, look what evolved on the moon. And to me, that would be a testimony that, you know what, somebody's been here before. Things like that don't happen accidentally. If I was wandering out through the desert and all of a sudden I stumbled onto a house and there was nobody there, but if there was a house, I would think somebody has been here. But the evolutionists would think, look what evolved out of the sand. (laughs) You're an absolute fool if you think that a house happens by itself and a house isn't near as complex as one person, as just a portion of your body. And you look at the human eye, the, and on and on. I'm not a biologist and all these kind of things. I don't have the ability. But I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at a person and realize this couldn't have happened by accident. You know, I was a mathematician in college. I was a math major. And I remember studying the laws of probability. And anything that is 10 to the second power is mathematically impossible. They say that it cannot happen. And yet, the odds of evolution happening 
are 10 to the trillionth something power. And every one power you go up makes it 10 times less probable. Anything to the 10 to the second power is beyond the realm of possibility. They don't even consider it. And yet evolution has to be 10 to the trillionth something power. It is just unbelievably impossible. If you were to drop a bomb in a Boeing factory where all of the parts are for a 747 plane. Now that's a big if because those parts would have to already be there and you'd have to have a bomb. But if you had all of the parts there and if you dropped a bomb in a factory and that bomb produced a 747 being perfectly assembled and able to fly and everything worked, that is less than 10 to the second power. That is more probable than a person believing that some bang went off and this intense complexity happened. We went to... St. Louis Obispo to that, uh, what is it, that mission that's there and, and watched, we were there when the swallows came back. And they fly from like 5,000 miles across the ocean back to the exact same place every year. This little tiny animal, little bird brain is able to navigate 5,000 miles through storms, through wind, through all of these things and come back to the exact same spot. We were in Alaska where the salmon come back to the exact same spot from thousands of miles away. And on and on and on it goes. All of this complexity. These little animals that basically have no brain and they're supposed to be so inferior to us And yet they're able to do these complex things. They're able to figure out how to do stuff. Hummingbirds. We have hummingbirds at our house. Did you know that they migrate to Mexico from Colorado to Mexico? And you know how they do it? They fly on the back of geese. They hitchhike. (laughs) Butterflies go from North America down to Mexico by the millions. Butterflies. And they go to the exact same place and go back and do all of this. You see a worm spin a cocoon and come out a butterfly. And yet all of this just happens accidentally. I'm telling you, I'm saying this in love, but that is absolutely foolish for any person to believe in that. Any person who would believe that has more faith than I ever thought about having. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in a God who said, let there be light. And there was light. Amen. Somebody said, what about all of the science? You're listening to people who have a prejudice, who want to believe. It is advantageous for people not to believe that God created things because that way they don't have to answer to a creator. They can be nothing but like a dog or a cat and live like an animal and then they just die and it's over it. They want to believe that. They have a prejudice. They are staring in the face of facts and they're manipulating them for themselves. Right over here in Glen Rose, Texas, Carl Baugh has a museum and I guarantee you there are thousands and thousands and thousands of known scientists that have the degrees and have the qualifications who have written off that evolution is impossible. It is not supported by facts. 
There are tens of thousands of scientists, well-known scientists who have done that. And yet you don't hear about that because people don't want to promote that. It doesn't fit into their lifestyle. You know, I can really help you here. I doubt very seriously if many of you are going to accept this, but I can really help you understand all of the conflict and the stuff that's going on in the world today. This will give you an answer if you'd accept it. Look over in 1 John chapter 1 or chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. In verse 18, little children, it is the last time as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby you know that it is the last time. And also in chapter 4 and in verse 3, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in, is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, where have ye have heard that he should come? And even now already is it in the world. This was 2,000 years ago. Here's, here's basically what's going on in our world today. It's not liberal versus conservative. It is the spirit of Antichrist versus God. It is moral versus immoral. It is godly versus ungodly. And they, they disguise it and wrap it in different things. And they try, like for instance, you know, when they talk about abortion, it's always pro-choice, which is a smokescreen. It is a way to try and spin things and make a positive out of it. You don't have the choice to kill another human being. That's not right. It's not about a woman's choice. And people say, well, that's not a human being. Science that people want to, you know, when when it comes to evolution, they want to refer to science. Science has proven conclusively that a baby in the womb is a human being, that they have emotions, that they feel things. But you don't have to go to science. You can go to the Word of God. In Luke chapter 1, when Mary, or chapter 2, when Mary went to Elizabeth, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And when the sound of Mary's greeting sounded in her ear, it says the babe leapt in her womb for joy. Six months had joy and leapt for joy in her womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit. God did not fill a hunk of tissue with the Holy Spirit. He filled a person. John the Baptist was filled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit in the mother's womb. For anybody who has any ability to believe the Word of God, of course, most people don't let the Word of God get in the way of what they believe at all. But if you let the Word of God get in the way of what you believe, how can you ignore that? And then you put with that Psalms 139, that you were wrought in the lower parts of the earth in your mother's womb. God knew all of your parts and wrote them out in a book before they were even formed. And it's talking about a person inside the mother's womb being a child. But see, they they try and spin it that, oh, it's about the woman's choice and what about this? You do not have a choice to kill another person. But they could wind up having Down syndrome. So is a person with Down syndrome worth killing? Do you kill them because they have Down syndrome? Well, they might suffer. So rather than let them suffer, I'll just kill them and make them suffer the max. 
I'm trying to be polite, but this is wrong. It's murder. And it happens because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And people who try and come to conclusions and deal with things without the foundation of the word of God are absolutely ignorant. Anybody miss that? Was that too subtle? You know, it was John Adams, the first vice president of the United States, the second president of the United States who said this. He says, democracy is totally unfit for anybody but a moral people. If America ever ceases to be moral, democracy will destroy us. And that's what's happening. It's not the fact that we aren't electing the right officials. Democracy allows people to elect people who conform to their ideas. They put people in who, they vote for people who conform to their ideas. Where we've missed it is that the church hasn't been reaching people. The body, uh, the people as a whole do not have the fear of God. It's all about me. It's all about self. And if a politician promises to give me free meds, I don't care if they kill babies. I don't care if they are anti-God. I don't care if they're against anything. It doesn't matter. If it gives me free meds, I'll vote for them. And we have a group of politicians. We now have over 50% of the American uh, population that pays zero taxes and actually gets rebates when they file tax returns. That's an ungodly principle. And yet there's a lot of people that godliness, fear of God, isn't the driving factor in their life. You know, you remember when the cash for clunkers came along? You know, I had a clunker. I think it would qualify because it wasn't worth a thousand dollars. And I was going to replace my pickup and get a new one so I could plow my drive. And I was already in the process of getting a car. When they came out with that $5,000 cash for clunkers. And yet when that came out, I wasn't about to turn in my clunker and get the government to give me $5,000 for a piece of junk that wasn't worth it. That's an ungodly principle. And so even though I was in the process of buying a car, I refused to do it and waited until the cash for clunkers was over and went and traded my pickup in and got $500 for it and paid for something else. And a lot of people are like, well, I'd have never done that. Because again, principle doesn't matter to you. There isn't a fear of God. It's like if somebody's going to offer you something, if they're going to give you something free, man, I'll vote for you. And if you kill babies and if you're against everything that the word of God stands for, I'll vote for you because of myself and my greed. God forbid. There is no fear of God. People are not honoring God. It's all about self. And it starts because we have been educated in a system. I mean, when you doubt the existence of God and you can look at a beautiful sunrise and think that this just happened, you can go through a day and not even praise God for the air you breathe and not even think about anything. Man, we have gotten so far off track. I'm telling you that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. And if you start trying to figure anything out apart from the existence of God and the fact that God is the one that created us, 
then you are going to come to some foolish conclusions, such as this just accidentally happened, so that I can kill the baby that's in my womb. And it's my choice, because after all, it might mean that I couldn't go to the movies and I couldn't eat out if I had to raise a child. So that's worth killing a person over. Amen or oh me. Over 50 million babies have been aborted in the United States since Roe versus Wade. And that's not including New York and California who are not required to report abortions. They only report the ones that they want to. But over 50 million babies murdered without all of them being accepted. The very first executive order that Obama gave when he came into office was to change the abortion stuff and spend money worldwide. He gave money to all of these organizations that had more than doubled the abortion around the world. The very first thing he did within hours of being in office. And people voted for him. I know that many of you think I'm way off track and I'm saying things that a preacher shouldn't be saying. But I'm telling you that you ought to start with the beginning of wisdom. Amen. It needs to be said. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I'm not mad at people. I love people. I love people whether they agree with me or disagree with me. But you know what? We've got to hear the truth. And it's not liberal versus conservative. It's moral versus immoral. And I know that this will not please a lot of you. But really, it's, it's morality versus immorality. The people that support the, legit, uh, the liberal agenda are people that enjoy not being accountable to God. They don't want to be made accountable to God. They don't want to confront this. Government becomes the answer instead of individual responsibility and us standing before God. It's give me a handout when the Bible clearly says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I think it's verse 10 or 12 right there, if you don't work, don't eat. And yet there's people that I guarantee you, if they just want the government. The government is supposed to give them things. This Occupy Wall Street deal, again, I don't know much about it. I'm not really into politics that much, believe it or not. I'm not big into all of this stuff, but they're sitting there saying, they want the government to take money from people over here that they consider to have too much money and to give it to them. That is such an ungodly principle. It is, they can sit there and couch it any way they want to, but it is ungodly to take money from people who've made it and stealing. It's thievery. And yet there's, well, it's not right for them to have this. Yes, it is. Now, I'm not saying that if I had millions of dollars that I'd be spending it on multi-million dollar homes and doing all of the things that other people do with it. And I th- I, if I was preaching to all of the rich, I'd tell them that, you know what? You ought to be using these resources to bless people and it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I'd be telling them that you need to give, but I'm not going to take it from them. 
I'm not going to have the governments take in and step in and take away initiative. And then all of the people who are creating these jobs and who are paying all of these people take their money away. That's going to hurt the economy. It's going to, it's going to decrease the economy. If I really believe that, I'd go to all of the Occupy Wall Street crowd and say, hey, give me your iPhone. Give me your iPad that you're using here. I mean, why is it fair for you to have one? I don't have an iPad. How come you've got an iPad? Give me your iPad. And on and on and on and on and on. We could go with all of this. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that all of the problems that's happening in our nation right now is because... At one time, this nation was founded on the fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It taught people how to do things. Did you know that the first prison system in the United States was started by the Presbyterian Church? Because there was a time in the history of this nation... When if you did something wrong, they would take you to a public square and they'd flog you. They'd beat you with whips. And if you did it a second time, they'd flog you. If you did it a third time, they'd put you in stocks or something. And if you did it a fourth time, they'd kill you for stealing a piece of bread. And the Presbyterian church thought that there's got to be a better way of dealing with things. And so they started taking people who were repeat criminals and they locked them up and started ministering the Word of God to them and telling them the Word of God about if you don't work, you don't eat. It's wrong to steal. You ought to honor God. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And the Presbyterian church started teaching these people who were repeat offenders what the Word of God said about how to get along with people. And people started being rehabilitated. And they came out of there and they were productive uh, members of society. And so the government sees this. And so the government steps in and starts it. And when they started it, this is back when the government was still having a godly influence and stuff. And it started out okay. But you know what? We never should have turned something like this over to the government in the first place. The church started it. And the church is the only one who can really truly rehabilitate somebody. But we've turned it over to the government. And now the government... Uh, Like I gave that example last night, HUD took away $25,000 grant to a woman who was rehabilitating drug addicts and uh, they took it away because she mandated Bible studies. And yet she's got a 70 plus percent cure rate, whereas the government has around 5% cure rate with these kind of things, but they wouldn't support it because it had something Christian in it. They don't have anything to do. They're trying to totally make our society secular. It started out seeking God. And we shouldn't have ever turned the rehabilitation of people over to the government. The church should still be doing that. The church ought to be the one operating prisons. We're the ones that started it. The church should still be doing it. But we turn it over and then when, if a person isn't a criminal, by the time they go into the prisons, they will be by the time they come out. It's bad. I don't know how many of you have ever been in prisons and ministered to people, but it's bad. It's bad in there. There's terrible things being done because this is something that the church was supposed to do. The church is supposed to take care of the poor. We were told that if you see your brother or sister having need and if you shut up your bowels of compassion, how dwells the love of God in you? We should be taking care of people and the church is the one that started it. 
And then the government gets into it. And then the government tries to remove Christianity from it. And because of that, they just have to make rules. They can't deal with the person person by person. And they make these rules and it's going to be abused and there's going to be fraud and there's going to be all kinds of things. And it's inefficient and it doesn't work. The church should be taking care of the poor. You know, right now, I, I don't even know how many widows, but we've got many, many widows that I give to on a monthly basis. They were ministers' wives and they died. The husband died and I take care of their widows and I've been doing it for years and years and years and I support them and I'll continue to do that. The church should be taking care of its own and ministering to people. And if we did what God told us to do, then the government wouldn't have to step in and do it. The church ought to be praying for people and seeing them healed and we wouldn't have to have all of this problem with Medicare and, and insurance and all this kind of stuff. The church could be ministering to people. You know, in the 17th chapter of the book of John, Jesus came down from the mountain and the crowds came running unto him and they, this man had a demon-possessed boy and the disciples had tried to cast the demon out and they couldn't do it. And when they saw Jesus, everybody came running to him and Jesus, when he found out what was going on, how did he respond? He didn't say, guys, I'm sorry, I should have been here for you. I was up on the mountain getting instructions about my crucifixion, meeting with my father, talking to Moses and Elijah and being transfigured. I shouldn't have been away. I should have been here. It's my fault. Don't feel bad. I tell you today, we, are, we just don't want to make anybody feel bad. You're afraid to tell somebody the truth because it might offend them. How did Jesus respond when his disciples couldn't do it? He said, you faithless and perverse generation. How long am I going to be here? I'm not going to be here forever. I'm trying to get you guys to where you could do this. He was not pleased. If he walked into the average church today, he would not be pleased with all the sick, the diseased, the poor, the oppressed. He would say, what's wrong with us? Why aren't you meeting the needs? And yet the average person today hasn't started with the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. We have bought into the world system. If you were to go to the average pastor in the Fort Worth area, and if you had a mental issue and said, would you please minister to me? The average pastor would say, well, have you been to the uh, doctor? Have you taken this medication? Have you done this? We would send them somewhere else to get their help. If they needed financial help, the average pastor would say, have you been to this government agency? Have you applied for help? Have you applied for welfare instead of meeting the needs? If they're sick, have you been to the doctor? If they're having marriage problems, well, you ought to go find this counselor and you ought to talk to him. Jesus would say to us today, you perverse generation. I'm not saying these things to hurt us. I'm saying it to open up our eyes that we have been raised in an ungodly system that does not even acknowledge the existence of God. And even our religious system doesn't start with the fear of God. They've been educated in the ways of the world. You can find very little difference between Christian and non-Christian out in the world. It's totally wrong. We aren't honoring God. We aren't fearing God. We haven't put God first. And because of it, all of these conclusions that we've come to are wrong. Amen.
And I'm sure that there's people sitting right here who don't like what I've said and are upset. But you know what? I've said these things in love and I'm telling you, I believe that the Bible is accurate in every detail. I was listening to a talk show one time and they were talking about evolution versus creation. Which if you're talking about creation, you would think that that would have to give the possibility that there is a God. They were discussing this and somebody called in and quoted the Bible. And says, the Bible says, and the host said, well, wait a minute. We aren't dealing with anything but facts. We only want facts. We don't want your opinions. You can't quote the Bible. And man, I nearly kicked the, the radio out of the dashboard. I got so mad. And some people think, well, we're just trying to be logical here and not deal in fairy tales. The Bible has changed the world more than any other book. The Bible has influenced history. Sometimes bad because religion got in and interpreted it. But nonetheless, the Bible has done more to affect this to the world. Not only our civilization, but any civilization than any other thing in the history of the world. And a person who would ignore something that, that was that central to the human experience and think that they are being logical and objective, that is nothing but biased. That is absolutely biased and prejudiced not to even take into account what the Bible says when it has influenced the world more than anything else. You know, I just got back from Uganda and the guy who runs our ministry, Pastor Bob's ministry there in Lighthouse Television, we had problems with some of the things that were going on when a person died and the people... I was just appalled at the things that were said and done and the fighting that was going on. And I said, what is going on? And he wrote me a seven page explanation. He's been in Uganda for 13 years. And I sent his explanation out to all of our directors because it was profound, his insights. And he began to describe the difference. And he says, you don't understand. You come from a Judeo-Christian background where you were taught a relative fear of God. Now, I've been talking about how America has moved away from it, but despite how far we've gone, most places on the face of the earth are what, much further than we are. I mean, we are a stronghold of Christianity in the world compared to other places. And so he was saying that in Uganda, that lying is just a part of the culture. They can look at you, they can pass a lie detector test because they can lie without any compulsion. They have no criticism of it. And they look at uh, Uganda as, as having been raped in a sense by all of the Europeans who went there and colonized it and did all of the things that they do. And so they justify it that, you know what, these people are the ones that oppressed us and did these things. And so therefore it's just fine for us to take advantage of them. And they just flat manipulate, they lie. He gave as an example, if you ask somebody to come fix your air conditioner here and they say they'll be there on Monday, nine out of 10 times, they'll be there on Monday. If they say they'll do something, they'll do it. In Uganda, you tell them to do that and they'll say, I'll be there on Monday and you'll have to call them and stay after them. And it may be two or three Mondays later before you get them there. They'll promise you anything. They'll say whatever. They take bribes. You can't get things done without bribes. In Woodland Park right now, they're trying to bribe us to get some certain things done because we're tax exempt. They're saying that we can't afford to service you with uh, 
um, fire and water and all these kind of things. And so please give us some money. And I told Larry, I said, that's a bribe. I said, that's wrong. I'm not going to play that game. And there's people right here that will try and do those kind of things. But in some other cultures, that's the way that everything is done. You can't get your electricity turned on unless you grease the track and give them some money and do stuff. There are other cultures that are way worse than what we are, and it's because they don't have a fear of God. We have a relative fear of God compared to the rest of the world, and that's the reason that if you, you know, you can shake hands with most people and do a, a contract with them, and they'll, it'll be okay. But boy, you go in other countries, they'll just stab you in the back, they'll take advantage, they'll do anything. All of that goes all the way back to the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When they started schools here in the United States, they used to teach people how to think. There was a primer in primary school about how to think. And it started based on the fear of the Lord, that we are accountable to a God, that we are going to be held accountable for how we deal with other people. And it laid foundations about how to get along with people, how to do everything based on the fact that there is a God. Our education system today has taken that away. Praise God for Pastor Bob and Calvary Cathedral that has a Christian education system here that is instilling godly principles. And man, it's, I'm sure it's hard. I'm sure that there's a lot of things that have been hard. It would have been easier to quit sometime. But you know what? It's worth the effort. If you don't start with the fear of the Lord as being the beginning point of knowledge and wisdom, then you are destined to come up with the wrong conclusions. And brothers and sisters, I know that this may be unsettling to some people, but I really believe that many of us have been raised with wrong principles, wrong guidelines in our life. It's leading to wrong conclusions. And that's the reason our nation's going the way it is. That's the reason our individual life is because the, begin the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And you cannot progress until you make God the source of everything in your life. And anything that goes against this, like it said in Proverbs 21, 30, there is no counsel nor wisdom or knowledge against the Lord. And anything that you've been taught that goes contrary to what God has revealed in His Word is absolute foolishness and it's going to wind up causing you problems in your life and lead you to wrong conclusions. The fear of the Lord should be the starting place, the beginning of wisdom in your life, the beginning of all knowledge. I was talking to a woman a while ago who uh, was wanting to be healed of something. And, I, and she says, why is it so hard? And I said, well, because you spent 40, 50 years thinking one way and now you're trying to change. And she said, but I know it's God's will. And I said, but you know what? If I was to pray with you right now, the first thing you'd want to do is go to the doctor to see if it worked. And I said, you, you actually revere and are more fearful of that doctor than you are what God's word says. You have to have the doctor confirm it. I said, when you get to a point where you believe that you're healed because God's word said it, and you don't have to have some test to confirm it. I said, if you want to go confirm it, confirm it to be a testimony to other people, but you don't have to go there to find out if God did it. Then you'll start walking in the supernatural healing power of God. 
But we've been raised in a thing to where, man, I've still got a pain in my body. I can't be healed. All of this goes back to we just don't have the knowledge of God. We've been taught that what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel is all that there is. And that that's reality and anything else is foolishness. And that's not what the Word of God teaches. Boy, we need to go back to the Scriptures. We need to recognize that the fear of the Lord is the starting place of wisdom. And if you haven't reached that starting place, then I can guarantee you where you've arrived and your wisdom is wrong. You got the wisdom of this world that comes to naught. And it's not going to produce the right things. Amen or oh me. Man, I pray that you still love me. It would be easier for me in a way not to say these things. But you know what? We need to be speaking the truth. And we need to be countering the ungodliness of this culture. We need to get to where then instead of us feeling weird for believing the Word of God that has changed lives, millions of lives, throughout tens of thousands of years has been the foundation of cultures. It was the foundation of this nation. Instead of us feeling weird for standing on the Word of God, the people that are rejecting the Word ought to be the ones that feel weird. They're the ones that are strange. You know what? If I'd have said these things a hundred years ago, nobody would have countered this. They would have actually have thought that this was unusual, that anybody would think anything different. And yet our culture today has gotten to where the Word of God is not revered. It's not respected. And there's people trying to counter it. We've got to stand up, start taking a stand and operating in the fear of the Lord to where we care more about what God has to say than what people have to say. Amen or oh me. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just humble ourselves today and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take these words and help us to recognize that the fear of you, the honor of you, reliance, reverence, awe for you, is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. That, Father, we need to humble ourselves. That before honor is humility, that we need to humble ourselves and receive the Word of God. And, Father, I know that there's people sitting right here who have been taught something for decades and have believed things for decades that I countered through the word today. And I know that that's uncomfortable, but I pray that you'd help people to humble themselves and receive the word of God and receive these truths and let these truths liberate them and set them free from the ungodliness that has caused so much problems. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit and believe that you are speaking to people in this room right now and changing their hearts. Thank you, Father. And I believe that right now the Lord is, some of you may not have liked some of these things, but in your heart, you know that there's truth. You may not be able to just totally embrace it right now, but I believe that the Lord is saying that you need to at least take it. Go study these scriptures. Go look at things. Read Psalms chapter 19 about the heavens declaring the glory of God. 
Study these things and let the word of God shape what you believe instead of some person who the Bible calls a fool, a person that doesn't even believe that there's a God. I believe that the Lord is speaking to you and challenging you just to take these things and to check them out and see if it isn't so. Father, we thank you and I believe that people are receiving and being set free. We agree and receive this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, if you need to be born again today, I know I preached a message on something different, but I tell you, Jesus is the only way to the Father. See, this is another. I could preach on that for an hour. But there's people today saying, oh, Jesus is a way. He is one way. Did you know that the Muslims believe Jesus is a prophet? They will acknowledge Jesus as a prophet. Every religion on the face of the earth acknowledges Jesus. They have to because he's the central figure of the human race. He's done more to change the world than any individual. You can't ignore him. And so people will acknowledge him and say he's a way. He's a good example, but they aren't willing to make him the way. And yet Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way to God. And if you have just been thinking, well, I'm going to cover all of my bases and so I'll acknowledge Jesus, but I'll also acknowledge whatever. Acknowledge yourself as being God or whatever. You need to turn from that and you need to make Jesus your personal Savior. You need to be born again. And then once you're born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need the power from on high. You know, the Holy Spirit does many things. I talk a lot about the gift of speaking in tongues and I believe it's essential. It's important. But did you know the number one thing that the Holy Spirit did in my life, it just turned my thinking around. I began to understand things that I couldn't understand before. And this is what the scripture says. When the Holy Spirit has come, he will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever he's spoken unto you. John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit will give you an ability to understand And it'll quicken your thinking and understanding. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need that. It's absolutely essential. Is there anybody here who would say, I need one or both of those. I either need to make Jesus my Lord and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's one over here. Anybody else? Here's a number of people. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here's some over here. Praise God. Some back there. We had last night over 50 people that went back and got one of the books. And so I don't know exactly how many people came down, but 50 something made it back there. And I think eight were born again. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. But there's more here today. And I tell you, the Lord wants to touch every one of your lives. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? And I want to pray with you right here and help you to receive. If that's you, just get up out of your seat and come forward. We're going to pray for you and help you to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Awesome. Awesome. This is great. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? You know, there may be some people think, what are you going to do to us? 
I'm just going to give you a free book and pray for you. I'm not going to do anything to hurt you. We want to help you. You should be in a good church, but we aren't asking you to join this church. This is a good church, but some of you come from other places. We're just wanting to pray with you and help you to receive what God has for you. I'm going to give you a free book. Amen. You had not got a thing to lose. You got everything to gain through this. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Man, this is awesome. I believe this is going to change your life. You're never going to be the same. I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit radically, radically changed me. And I believe it's going to do the same for you. Isn't that good? Before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to be born again first. You have to know for sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Is there anybody up here who's not certain that you've done that? I need to pray with you first. If that's you, I need you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Anybody? All of you born again? You aren't sure? You want to pray? All right, that's good. You can't receive the Holy Spirit until, first of all, you receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Is everybody up here sure? There's so many people today who just are supposing and hoping that they're saved. But when you get born again, you know that you're saved. You know that something's happened on the inside. Anybody else? Three years ago. This man's sure. Amen. All right, well, we're going to lead you in a prayer. And I want everybody to pray with us so that he won't feel like everybody's just listening to him. And I'm going to say words similar to what you need to say based on the scripture. And if you will pray this and believe with me, I believe you're going to be born again right now. God's going to come into your heart and you'll be totally forgiven. Is that a good deal? That's awesome, isn't it? Amen. Let everybody say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You agree? Welcome to the family, brother. You're a brand new person on the inside. That's awesome. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Now, according to the scripture, when you get born again like this, he's a brand new person on the inside. And the Bible says, every one of you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means God created you to fill with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wonder, would he give me the Holy Spirit? Do I have to beg and plead? You were made for this. God wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have him. So you don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. Some people teach that you have to get rid of all sin in your life before the Holy Spirit will come. If you could get rid of all of the sin, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life so you can start being a Christian. So don't let some feeling of unworthiness or you're doing something wrong stop you from receiving the Holy Spirit. All you got to do is open up the doors of this temple and welcome the Holy Spirit in. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then I'd like our prayer ministers to come up here and they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that when you lay hands on people, the Holy Spirit came on them. The disciples did that in the book of Acts. So we're going to have people that come up and stand behind you and they're going to lay hands on you because you can release the power of the Holy Spirit. And then after they lay hands on you, I'm going to ask you to quit asking 
and start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Take a step of faith. He promised, he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on, and then I want you to take a step of faith and thank him that he did it. I don't care what you feel like. You may feel wonderful, you may not feel a thing, but we aren't asking for a feeling. We're trusting the word of God that it's done. And so I want you, after they lay hands on you, to start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And I want you to lift your hands like that when you start thanking God, because this is, the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I yield, I surrender. Amen. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. We're going to start thanking God. And then those that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks to God in a heavenly language. So we're going to start praising God in our prayer language. And when we do that, I want you to switch from speaking in English and start thanking him in tongues. And if you don't know what to say, you can try try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but it'll come out different because it's not your tongue. You will have your own individual way of speaking, but you've got to say something. If you don't know what to say, try and say what you hear them saying. When it comes out different, just keep talking. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I've got a book that will explain the whole thing in more detail, but if you're ready, we can receive right now. Okay. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you that we are filled with all, that we are the born again, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we open up the doors of this temple and we welcome your Holy Spirit to come in and fill us. Father, we are asking for, we receive, we give you freedom. We welcome the Holy Spirit to come into our lives right now and to fill us from head to toe with your power and this revelation knowledge, this gift of speaking in tongues. And we thank you for it. Father, we lay hands on them right now and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power to flow into every one of these lives. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your power flowing into them and these gifts of the Holy Spirit, giving them the ability to speak in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. Let's begin to worship the Lord right now. And as we speak in tongues, you come in and you speak with us. You can't speak in English in tongues at the same time. So let's quit praying in English and let's start speaking in tongues right now. Hallelujah. Rosa la vancora la mima rembamboloro, brieti kibi la mambrontarambe, brechoto balaramba, brieti kile vieron broha shata da macoprata, botana mambocara levi kitarambeeron brosolonum, barrio tohe i a shamangambronto. Man, I think every one of these is speaking in tongues, or there's, I think they are, I'm not sure, but I think every one of them is speaking in tongues. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. That's powerful. Let me have your attention here for just a moment. Whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. I'm not speaking in tongues right now because you know what? I can control it. You can control it. The Holy Spirit doesn't force you to speak in tongues. 
I've written all of the things that I know about this in a book. And I know many of you have questions. And I can tell you this, not a one of you fully understands what just happened to you. You've been given one of the keys to the Christian life. One of the most important things that will ever happen. And if you understand it and operate in this, this will change your life more than probably anything else since you've been born again. It's really powerful, but you've got to understand it and start using it to get the full benefit. So I've written all of this stuff in a book and I'd like to give it to every one of you. We've got Robert right here in the center aisle with his Bible up. And if you would follow him, he's got a room right here. He'll give you the book. They'll pray with you. They'll answer any questions that, uh, that you have. And they just want to be able to minister to you. So please take a moment and do that. Let's praise God for these as they go. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Man, that's powerful. People just started speaking in tongues right away. That is really great. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. These are our prayer ministers up here. Many of these are our students. Some are partners and friends with us, but all of them have been through a training. And the reason that we have them here is to pray with you. I can't pray with every single person. I don't need to pray with every single person. It's Jesus that does the healing. And all we do is just offer a prayer of agreement. So if you would like prayer for anything, I'd like to encourage you to come and let one of our prayer ministers here just agree with you and pray with you. If you need prayer, just get up out of your seat right now and come forward. I'm going to ask the others to hold for just a moment and allow these to start getting into the aisle so that they can come and receive prayer. Then I'm going to be releasing you. Remember that we have all of our books, CDs, DVDs. You know, this D, these DVDs with these healing testimonies on it, please get one of those. Those things will help you. They'll bless you and they'll enable you to minister to other people. So please get those. Remember, we'll be back at 7 tonight, 10 in the morning, and 6 p.m. on Sunday.